One of my favorite genres of movies, or dare we say film, is the samurai movie. There are lots of great samurai movies. You've got Throne of Blood, you have Yojimbo and Sanjiro, you've got a bunch of classics, these epic movies of these powerful warriors, oftentimes depicted as just in defending the weak and the helpless. My favorite, though, and probably the most influential, the magnum opus, the Citizen Kane of samurai movies, would be The Seven Samurai. And it's interesting because it has the greatest impact in uh, the pop culture, that many samurai movies inspired westerns. So we have The Magnificent Seven, which is based off of The Seven Samurai, and a little-known film called The Bug's Life, <laughs> which uh, plot beat for plot beat um, recreates The Seven Samurai. So, warning, I'm going to spoil all those movies right now. So if you haven't seen them, you've been warned. This, uh, this, this film, it's a wonderful film, and it's an epic, so it's long. Um, but it starts uh, depicting this small village in, this, um, in Japan. And this village is run by um, a bunch of farmers, poor farmers, but they get by. They farm enough to, to sell to um, neighboring villages and to also support themselves. But soon enough, um, because they don't have enough money or funds or resources to guard themselves, to hire samurai, to hire guards or archers, they are attacked by bandits. And this group of bandits, every time the, they yield a crop, come by, beat up all the inhabitants, and take all their crops. And eventually it becomes very evident that if they don't do something about these bandits, everyone is going to perish. So they send out um, some of the villagers to go find some heroes, someone to protect their village. They don't have much to offer, just food and a place to stay, but they were able to find seven samurai, these various warriors who rise to the occasion in righteousness and desire to protect this small village. And what happens over the course of the movie is this transformation where there's this small village of farmers and they prepare to fight these bandits. They fortify their village, they learn how to fight in their own way, and the samurai help them do so. And in the end, they are victorious against all odds that they end up beating these bandits and the victory is theirs. It's a very heartwarming story. It's a very powerful emotional story. And it's also very exciting because we get to see this righteous combat at play. There is this fighting for freedom, this desire for what is good, this desire to fight for what is right. And this is something we actually experience in our lives. Yes, it happens very naturally in our culture, in media, in interactions with others, even in our, our history. There is this desire to seek and fight for justice and for freedom. But we see this most especially in a very unique way, in its most powerful way, in the spiritual life. That we have this spiritual combat that we engage in. That just as our Lord experienced opposition... We, of course, his disciples then experience opposition. That through the waters of baptism, we have entered into new life in Christ. But we have to fight for the freedom that we have received. As we have been broken from the shackles of sin and death, now we have to fight to live in that freedom. We are not alone in this. That we have the gift of grace. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That we have this gift of prayer, this relationship with our Lord, and that is what the readings and our gospel touch on today. Firstly, we have this very powerful image of the Israelites 
fighting the Amalekites, led by Amalek. And it actually, in, in a lot of ways, parallels the seven samurai. We have the Israelites who just got out of slavery. They just got out of the fire, and now they're in the frying pan. They left Egypt through water. They have this new life and freedom, and now they have to battle for that freedom. You have the Amalekites, who were this nomadic nation, this nomadic tribe, that would travel northern Samaria, and they would pick off any smaller tribes. That that was their profit. And for the Israelites in particular, the Israelites, as they moved, um, those who lagged behind were taken out by scouts that the Amalekites sent ahead of them. So that was the poor, that was the sick, that was the elderly, and those were the, the families with lots of children who moved kind of slow. And eventually, the Israelites realized, we have to do something about this. We have to confront this evil that is threatening our freedom. So that's what we have today in the first reading, this battle with the Amalekites. The Amalekites were trained in fighting, trained in bloodshed, trained in murder. The Israelites were former slaves. They weren't trained in combat. But at God's um, uh, uh, call, at God's will, Moses chose some men set aside to fight the Amalekites. And as they were fighting, he propped himself up on a hill with, um, with her and with, um, uh, thank you, and Aaron. Aaron and her. And as they were up there, uh, Moses had his hands outstretched. And as he was interceding on behalf of those battling, um, they won. They were winning. They had the upper hand. But as soon as he lowered his hands in weariness, they, they began to lose. There's a very striking image of Moses on a hill with his arms outstretched. It's a prefiguration of what? Jesus, yes. Jesus on the cross. So we have this very powerful image of Moses with his hands outstretched, interceding on behalf of his people so that they may, they may have victory and freedom over this, this, what they actually called, they called the Amalekites, um, the culture of death that pursued them. That They were on top, on, uh, on the same level as the, what the Israelites would consider to be death itself. Because they swallowed up those who were sick and dying and those who were, were elderly or poor. Now we have Jesus. We see him on the cross was taken on human nature and on our behalf, in total freedom, laid down his life and crucified with himself sin and death and gave us hope in the resurrection and that freedom of beloved sons and daughters of God. It's actually why the priest does this. That's why I do this. When you see me doing this, I'm not looking to give you guys a spiritual hug. I'm extending my hands in intercession during the prayers of the Mass. That when the priest does this, it's called the Oron's position, which means... Um, a position of intercession. This is what Moses was doing. And now you might wonder, well, why didn't God just give them the victory? It seems easier that, that God could just say, you know what, I'm striking down the Amalekites right now. Problem solved. Not a big deal. Well, there's not a simple answer for that. But I think it's fitting that we are called by God's mysterious holy will to participate in his will. That in our freedom, we have the ability to choose to involve God in our lives. That we have this gift of relationship with God where we can include him in our struggles, in the difficulties we have. So that as the Israelites had at the Amalekites, we would have victory over our, 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 our struggles, our combat, our conflicts. I want you to think about that for a sec, because I think everyone here could probably think of at least one time in their life where they really struggled. Where they really experienced conflict. And I think unfortunately when we do, we oftentimes don't think to run to God first, or to say, Lord, I'm struggling, come here. 
we try and fight that conflict on our own. That we tend to compartmentalize our relationship with God. There's usually two extremes. One, things are so darn good that I have to say, God, you're probably blessing me. Or things are so darn bad that we're like, okay, God, you're my last resort. I'm turning to you. There's this big space in between. And this is where we prepare. This is where we establish that relationship with God. This is where we invite him in. Because brothers and sisters, we have an enemy. An enemy that does not sleep, that desires our demise, that is constantly seeking to undermine us and to steal our freedom. And unlike bandits or the Amalekites, this enemy cannot be defeated on our own. That we need the strength and gifts of God's grace. And the only way that's going to happen is if we invite him into our life. That we invite him into our struggles. And that we pray, as our Lord says, always without growing weary. Without lowering our hands in weariness, but we keep them propped up. That's the beauty of being in a community of Christ as well. That we can intercede for each other. That we had Moses, and as he began to become weary, his hands were raised up by the community. And he continued to pray. He continued to intercede. That we are called to pray for ourselves, to invite the Lord into our life, but also to ask intercession of others. That we ask for help and assistance from our brothers and sisters. We ask for help and assistance from the saints, and most especially in a very unique way, in our greatest intercessor, Mary. Getting back to that in a bit, um, we then have this idea that our Lord uh, gives to us to kind of connect the two um, readings, the, the first reading in the gospel. That he presents this image of a widow who is constantly um, uh, pestering this corrupt judge. That she demands justice and this judge just doesn't want to bother. He says, I don't have time for you. It's not worth my time or energy. And because of her persistence alone, even with his um, corrupt disposition, he finally gives in, he throws up his arms and says, fine, you will have your justice. And the point the Lord is making here is that even a corrupt judge, even one who is uh, led not by compassion or justice, even one who wishes perhaps hurt or pain on this poor widow, would eventually yield to that petition. And that if a corrupt judge would yield from persistence alone, what would a heavenly uh, father, what would our heavenly father, loving God, do for us with our persistence? That we're not called to just pray when things are bad or when things are good, but to constantly invite the Lord into our day. Even now, even today, as we leave, we don't say, all right, I did my one hour of God's stuff for the week. No, I continue that relationship with the Lord. I continue to pray and invite him into the struggles, into the good, the bad, and the ugly, the things I don't want to share with the Lord that I have complete vulnerability with him and I seek to be praying always. You might be thinking, Father, how do I pray always? I am busy as is. I hardly have time to you know, scratch my head and the only thing I want to do is take a nap. <laughs> but there are ways for us to invite the Lord into things. That the church has a long history of finding different ways of involving the Lord in our lives. We have the monastics and the religious and even... Um, Clerics who must read the uh, Office of Readings, the Divine Liturgy, Psalms and Prayers throughout the day. But we have um, other saints who have risen to the occasion of finding different ways in which we can incorporate God into our daily life. One of my favorites is actually in St. Jose Maria Escriva, who takes the rule of St. Benedict, which is ora et labora, meaning pray and work. That in equal parts, as you pray, you are also working, and as you are working, you are also praying. But he takes us to the next level in saying, whatever we do can be a prayer. If I get up in the morning, my very act of getting up can be a prayer. Lord, thank you for today. 
I offer this day to you. That's a prayer. You have involved God immediately. That's the first thing you did before you checked TikTok or Instagram. You prayed to God and you established the first thing, which is God himself. Maybe you're washing dishes. It's a very mundane task. Maybe you don't want to do this thing. And you can actually own it and say, you know what? This will be my prayer. I will pray as I work, as I clean these dishes. I'll do the best job I can do to give glory to God. That is a prayer. Maybe you're going into a difficult situation. You have to encounter somebody who you encounter on a daily basis. You know, you know, I really don't want to talk to this person because they are annoying and they're really frustrating. When I'm around them, they cause me anxiety. Lord, please help me to be charitable, to be patient, to be kind. Maybe we just experience something really difficult in our life, something unexpected. Oftentimes we go through life getting used to the mundane beats of the day and then something out of nowhere completely rocks our world, flips everything upside down. And at those points, um, sometimes we don't really invite the Lord into that. And to say immediately when that happens, Lord, please help me. I know this is going to be a battle, and I can't fight it alone. But despair is on the horizon. If I don't have you by my side, I'm going to fall into that despair, and it's going to take me down a dark path. In all these ways, you are involving the Lord in your life. It doesn't need to be pretty. It doesn't need to be flowery. It can be if, you, if you're a poet. But that relationship with God, inviting him into prayer, establishing that daily prayer is something that's raw consistent and very vulnerable finally one other way i would encourage you to pray and invite the lord into that daily habit of prayer is actually in the rosary and you might have a complicated um, relationship with the rosary Uh, maybe it's something that you really don't enjoy praying or maybe it's something that it's so essential to your life that you can't imagine yourself not praying but remember what the rosary is one it's a repetitive prayer so it actually lulls us into a sense of spiritual mindfulness That we are entering into prayer and into this mindset of I am with the Lord and I am praying on these things. And as distractions and frustrations and anxieties um, enter into my mind, I can resolve them with the Lord. That I am actively battling those things in my life that bring darkness and conflict with the gift of God's grace and through the intercession of Our Lady. That's the second thing too is you're praying to Mama. Now we're maybe okay at praying. (laughs) But there's no one better than at praying than the saints. And among them, Our Lady. They're like, it's like hiring a professional. It's like hiring samurai to fight your spiritual battles. That as you pray the rosary, you are asking Our Lady for her assistance to intercede on your behalf and to fight this battle with and for you by mediating God's grace as the beloved mother of the church. And along with this, um, today, I think, is um, it's Rosary Sunday. We have the Rosary Sunday event downtown, actually, after Mass. So I encourage you, if you're not able to make it to that, I do encourage you to maybe pray the Rosary and to, to maybe consider praying every day, to make it that spiritual weapon in this uh, struggle of spiritual combat, and to look to the Lord, especially as we struggle with the difficult realities of our life, the darkness of the world, with hope, and recognizing that all things are possible through the Lord. That we have this gift of freedom that has been gifted to us through the grace of God, through our Lord's sacrifice on the cross, and we have the hope of the resurrection. All we need to do to continue this, this battle, this struggle, this fight, is to invite the Lord in and trust in his love and mercy and have faith in his great grace. Amen.